0: as big as God is prayer is just as strong as God is strong prayer can reach as far as God is prayer is, is just as strong as Prayer is just as strong as Just pray, just pray For God is home Where can reach as far as God hears Prayer is just as strong as Just pray, just pray For God is home Let's go!
1: Starving child She has no shelter From the cold Earthly provision Will ease their suffering But who will feed Their empty souls Bury my heart On the mission field, Lord to the suffering ones,
0: I'll
1: go wherever you want me to go. Lord, please bury my heart. Will you ignore these lost souls in the night? Someone one to show them the way. We must go before another one dies. Bury my heart on the mission field, Lord. These distant voices won't fade away. I'll do your will, no matter. to the cost. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I'll give you my
2: heart. Once again, we're certainly glad to have Dr. Wendell Runyon with us. And He's been a friend to me through the, for a number of years. We, had, we met together, actually we met for the first time at football camp a number of years ago, and I had the opportunity to share a room with him for basically about five or six nights. It was almost a whole week long, and boy, it was a great time, and I learned so much about him, and in learning about him, I began to create and develop a friendship right away. Obviously, he's a man, my senior, of course, a few years, but he made me feel special, and he didn't make me feel little. And, boy, I'll tell you what, I appreciated that. And we got along so well. And our friendship started. And, uh, boy, I looked to him. He's been a, a, just a, a blessing to me. matter of fact, Brother Cavanaugh, uh, as a result of uh, Brother Runyon's recommendation, I said, Hey, Brother, do you have anybody in mind? Do you think, can you think of anybody that might be a good fit for our ministry? And uh, he prayed about it, thought about it, and eventually said, I'm not sure if he'll work that well, but... <clears throat> No, he didn't say that. He said, no. He said, I got somebody for you. I think he'd be a blessing to you. Why don't you give him a, a call and see? Maybe he's, uh, I think he might be in, in looking for a uh, ministry, maybe considering a place to serve the Lord. And boy, I tell you what, uh, we've certainly appreciated that recommendation. And brother Steve's been a blessing to us. That's for sure. And a help, a tremendous blessing and help. Well, anyway, we're certainly glad to have Brother Runyon with us. You come preach for us, brother, would you?
3: Well, praise the Lord. Uh, he's had you fooled for how long now? <laughs> Where is he? Where would he go? Oh, he's in the sound booth. Okay. <laughs> I I uh, came in yesterday and he walked around me for 20 minutes out there and never even said hello. And I went up and said, "What have you done? Committed a great sin?" <laughs> he was busy with everybody i understand that but uh the the entire kavanaugh family is just special special people and i appreciate them they're great friends and uh, sister o'donnell came up to me at football camp and said you didn't just send us one you sent us two amen and uh josh you slept on the floor on friday night at that hotel you remember that you're just a kid Little old skinny kid, (laughs) yeah. And I I remember I didn't know you was over, and you raised up and saw that little old skinny head raised up there. (laughs) I thought we'd been invaded. (laughs) I have to tell things like that so people know that I'm not getting Alzheimer's or some kind of (laughs) (laughs) dementia. And when you're my age and you preach, you have to. If you say something tonight that you said. Earlier in the week, you have to say, as I said before, (laughs) you got to get that all established. That our people go and say, "Eh, Yeah, he's getting dementia. (laughs) (laughs) Repeating himself constantly. And I, I work hard not to do that. Always have worked hard not to do that. Came in the door back there and Brother came up to me and said, uh, getting a rerun tonight? I said, not in the same week, maybe the next year, but not the the same week. Billy Kelly, big 400-pound evangelist from the south. He's in heaven now, but uh, he said, woman walked up to me and said, Billy, I'd heard you preach that message you preached last night before. He said, well, you sing Amazing Grace twice, don't you? (laughs) So he Billy had about a dozen messages, and, and if you heard him 12 times, you heard the next one, number one. But uh, but he he had the power of God on him. He was a, a great preacher, and God really used him over the years. But many evangelists, that's what they do. They just develop a few sermons, and they run with them the rest of their life. And uh, when you're preaching missions conferences and you go back again and again and again, that don't work too well. And uh, God's always been gracious, though, to to help us to have a new uh, new way to come at it, a new light to come at it, and uh, you know the pastor is your pastor has the toughest position of anybody in the ministry. He really does, and you don't realize some of the things that your pastor endures. Just In your subconscious, the fact that you've got to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night every week, it's never out of your subconscious the pressure of what am I preaching next time. You don't realize that. If a pastor had no more pressure than that to go through, that would be plenty. And boy, to stay fresh, I mean to stay fresh and, you know, you're blessed. You have a pastor that works hard at it to stay fresh. If we don't get fresh, we get stale. And then if you don't, if you get stale, you rot. And when you rot, you begin to stink. <laughs> so thank God your pastor wears deodorant. <laughs> And uh, he keeps his sermons fresh, is what I was insinuating. So, uh, <laughs> amen. And uh, I travel all over the world, and uh, that, that, that is a problem in a lot of places, as I mentioned the uh, as I mentioned the other <laughs> night. <laughs> well, would you do something for me tonight? Would you turn to the Book of John, chapter twenty-one? So we can get started, Amen. As I looked at that uh, man in Hungary, and he's talking about cultures, and you know, I I spent a week in Providence Baptist College teaching on customs and cultures. Every class for the entire week, and I learned so much myself in doing that. But I thought I, I thought I was going to fill out some, make some handouts daily for that. And then I realized the only way I can do this is out of my heart because it's what I've lived and what I've seen for the last 20 years. And I just stood out of my heart for four hours a day at Providence Baptist College and I found out that I could have done that another four hours a day for five days Uh, talking about cultures around the world. And he mentioned that. And... You know, one of the greatest problems with missionaries going to the field is their wives going into a strange culture. The man's always busy. He's running to and fro, and he's out doing this and doing that. And the wife, you know, if she's got children special. She's there at home. And uh, she's just in a it's, it's culture, culture shock. is terrible. And I tell all missionaries, when you go to the field, Make the inside of your house as American as you can possibly make it. Make it as home as you can possibly make it so that that wife feels like she's in an American home, that she's not in a strange place. A lot of men go to the field and they're very mistaken that they've got to to bring themselves down to the level of the people there in order to reach them. That's not so. That's not so. It's very, very. I, I mean, it's just, it's just not so. We have a lot of misconceived ideas. But you know what? You know why so many come home? Because they go and they try to make their wives adapt and become culturally those people. And, and hey, when a woman has grown up for 20-some years here in America, in American culture, and you think you're going to change them immediately. And cultures around the world are all that what controls the culture is when you cannot separate culture and religion. Every country's culture, the religion is what influences that culture. And all of their customs and everything they do is according to their culture and their religion. And their religion dictates the biggest part of that. You live in a Catholic country, Catholic. Religion dictates the culture of that country. You go into the Southern Hemisphere, of the Western Hemisphere, and you find that they have embraced Catholicism, and uh, so therefore their customs are very Catholic. I go into the Philippines, and a certain time of year, here will come a parade down the street, and they'll have nine different Marys in a parade, and about 25, 30, 50 people with each Mary. And uh, very Catholic, very Catholic culture. And uh, everything is controlled by, you know, the priests have a lot of influence. So these people, when they go, they, they do experience that. That's one of their biggest fights and one of their biggest problems. And you really need to realize that. You really need to pray for them. And uh, tell the missionaries next time not to bow their head when they... Pray because their nose got about an inch and a half longer, <laughs> did you notice that? Did you notice that when he bowed that nose went <laughs> <laughs> and, and he don't have a long nose at all but <laughs> but uh, anyway, I hadn't said that before here this week had i that, my dimensions sitting in but uh, <laughs> but anyway uh, uh it's it's you know such a challenge in 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 England, I've been there several times and preach revival meetings for missionaries. And if a missionary has a need for a revival meeting, and, of course, they have a hard time getting somebody to come over, and I'll go at my own expense. I'll pay my own hotel bill, pay my own plane fares if a missionary needs me. I don't care where he's at. If he needs me, I'll work it out, and I'll go. And uh, I'll, uh, you know, even uh, feed them about every day, feed the family about every day, and usually Try to give them a love offering when I leave to try to be a blessing to them but i I've been to England several times and uh uh passing out tracks you know that's it's you, you say well that's almost the same everywhere you go well in England, we were traveling the motorway, and there was a rest area, and their rest area has a it'll have a a a, con, a convenience like store and it'll have a little cafe and it'll have restrooms. and It's got little, several little stores there as you travel. It's about two o'clock in the morning. We was traveling. Uh, the missionary had picked us up in uh, in uh, London, and we were driving to Leicester, which is about all three or four hour drive. And so we stopped at the rest area, and I got something to drink. And uh, uh, you know, if you if you go over there and you look for a pack of uh, cheese crackers or something like you do in America, you're not going to find it. And so I got something, and I went up, and I paid for it. And this lady was probably 45, 50 years old, and I handed her a gospel tract. And she said, what is that? I said, tell you how to get to heaven. She said, oh, my husband's an Anglican priest, and I don't believe any of that. And and I, I don't know why I said it. It was just God. I said, she handed it back to me. And I took it, and I said, you do have an open mind, don't you? She said, "Yes." <laughs> I never had a Brit refuse another track because I'd say, "You do have an open mind, don't you?" And you accuse a Brit of not having an open mind? Ah, you're not. they're, they're not going to. You're not going to say that about them. And it was just God gave me that. And man, I passed out tracks everywhere, and everybody'd hand it back, and I'd say, "You do have an open mind." Oh, yes. 17-year-old girl in McDonald's said, what is that? I said, tell you how to get to heaven. She said, I said, you do have an open mind. Sure. (laughs) So (laughs) everybody goes to the British Isles. I tell them that, and it's worked for them as well. So, uh, you know, Britons, uh, they just, uh, you know, they're the smartest people in the world. If you don't believe it, ask them. And sometimes you don't have to ask them, they'll tell you. And so uh, they, they're just, uh, you know, they, they, they think they're very open-minded people. And uh, <laughs> they're not very open-minded people. Uh, in, in the book of John today, chapter 21, now we're in the middle of missions conference. And we're in the middle of the pastor's burden uh, to try to increase the missions giving so that more souls in this world can be reached. Now, I realize this, and I've heard it so many times. People will come in and try to preach a missions conference, and they try to shame you. Uh, That's not what I'm doing. That's not what I even have any intention to do. The only way I'll shame you is if you don't go vote in this election. (laughs) And I'm not going to get political here, but... uh, all these battles we're fighting, uh, we wouldn't be fighting for Christian people to go vote. Did you know there's 100,000 people in America that sort of believe something, uh, you know, sort of call them Christians, of Christian and believe something, believe in the Trinity, et cetera, and only 40, uh, 100 million, only 40 million of them went and voted. So that's all I'll say. So uh, <clears throat> we won't have to fight battles if we'll just do it at the polls. And so... Uh, We're not trying to shame you. We're not trying to shame you. That doesn't work. But for about a week. your first week you put your money in your envelope. And the second week you're questioning yourself. That don't work. Unless God, the Holy Ghost, does a work in your heart toward these people and these people. And all of those national pastors that we got that you helped so much. Man, y'all have done wonders in planting churches with IBOM. So many churches. We just started a brand new church in Mexico uh, just this week. And so that puts us up to 206. And we've got three more men sitting there ready to go. In Kenya, right now. We just started a brand new church in Egypt about a week ago. And so these men, a lot of them that were training, are sitting there and ready to go. Now, they can't go unless we help them. They have no other way, they have no other choice but to sit there. Now, because of places like Community Baptist Temple and ministries like this and ministries like you. And see, when you make a commitment to the faith promise of this church, that tells this pastor and missions committee or whomever, however you do it, I don't know. But you know what? It tells them what they're going to be able to do for the next year. And if you make a commitment and in the middle of the year, you decide that you're going to leave the church... You make them short on what they had planned on their commitment. And you know, the way I've always felt about it, if I make a faith promise to a church by faith, if God will give it to me, I sort of have committed to that church for that year unless some disaster happens, and we understand that. Hey, if you die, we won't come get you. But people get sick. Yes, and people, people get sick and can't do. All of that's understood. But if you are going along and doing pretty well, that's a, that's a commitment to help them for the year to take on missionaries, decide what they're going to do. And Brother O'Donnell said that uh, you, you, you send 90% or more to the mission field. You don't hold back a bunch like a lot of people do, so if people make commitments and you run and <clears throat> you lose several of them, it it sort of gets a little tight, right? Mm-hmm. But you've always been blessed, and in the year, new people will come in and make up for those. But that's what faith promise is—that by faith I'm gonna I'm gonna this next year I'm gonna give that to this church. Now I said tonight as a beginning that we're not here to shame you. We're not here to make you feel bad if you don't give. We're here to encourage you to pray and ask God what you should give. And if every person here will honor what God leads you to do, there will be no problem. You know what I prayed last night? That that thing there would blow the top out and go to 120. Would that be all right, preacher? Okay. I prayed it. I'm just stupid as that little boy in the Sunday school class that teacher said, All right, uh, let's pray for 25 next Sunday. They got to the class, and there's kids everywhere. She just had a little small room, and she was just in a tizzy. What am I going to do with all these kids? A little boy walked up and saw what kind of tizzy is in, pulled on the tail of her coat and said, Teacher, I'm sorry. I prayed for 50. <laughs> Amen. What is it? Faith. Faith is a substance of things hopeful. The evidence of things not seen. Hey, hey. Uh, uh, now, sometimes you can get a little bit uh, way out in the field uh, of putting too big a demands on God, but uh, with sense, pray with faith. Philip said, God speaks to you? I said, yeah. He speaks so softly, you can't hear him. And he speaks so loudly that I can hear him well. God speaks to me. He impresses me. I've never heard a burning bush speak. God has never come down to me in a cloud by day and a pillow of fire by night. But he sure has impressed me very strongly in my lifetime about most things. But you have to stay in tune with the Holy Ghost of God. And he will lead you. He will impress you. When I'm driving down the road, a lot of times I'll come to a fork and and I could go either way. One way may take a little bit longer. But I could go either way. And I'll come to that fork and I'll say, Lord, which way? And he'll impress me. And maybe how many times has He saved me from an accident? Hmm? See, I, I, like, I, I like a relationship with the Holy Ghost. I really like that relationship. And I've never spoken in tongues. Never have desired to speak in tongues. Hmm? Yeah? I, you know, I, <laughs> I was in Mexico and had this real cocky young preacher with me. And there 's some of them, and uh, I made a fool out of him every time I could uh, every time i possibly could he 's a real good looking guy in the hotel he 'd go out we 'd be sitting over here like this up on a place with seats and he 'd be standing out there on the floor like this where the where the desk clerks could admire him. Oh, I went out there one day and I just grabbed him by the collar and put him in down, boy and, and we went into we uh, uh, we went into uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. We was in church at Kevin Wynn's on Sunday morning. And we was going down to Coatla for a service. And and uh, we, we was in a hurry, had to hurry. And so we was going to go into Kentucky Fried Chicken and get something to go. We went in Kentucky Fried Chicken. There was a line there. We walked in, and he was right here with me. He stuck right with me everywhere we went. And there's big bienvenido on the wall. That means welcome in Spanish. And I said, Will, boy, man, they've got Ben Benito's on special. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. I said, he said, have they got them in chicken? I said, oh, yes, yes. They got them in chicken. And we, we was in line and going to work in our way around there and and I said, I tell you, Will, you order. You order. Let me tell you what to say in Spanish. And I said, okay, let's go over it. I say, Dos Bienvenido Pollo, uno Coca-Cola hielo. That's two bienvenidos, chicken, one Coca Cola, no ice. We don't drink ice. We don't eat it. We don't drink it. We get sick. And so I drilled him all the way through the line. We got up to the to the cash register. And uh, I said, go ahead and order. Go ahead and order. And he said, uh, dos bienvenidos, pollo, uh, uno, Coca-Cola, sin yellow. And the girl went. Right beside was another girl at a cash register and she didn't, nobody was at her line and she was listening. I said, she didn't understand you. Say it again. (laughs) He said, dos, that's two, bienvenido, pollo, uno, Coca-Cola, señala. And that girl Again, this one, and this girl, I was over here like this, <laughs> and she realized what was going on, and she just doubled over, and th- and this girl looked at her, and then she realized, and she doubled over, and he said, what did I say? <laughs> I said, I said, you just ordered two welcomes, chicken, and one Coca-Cola with no ice, and boy, he turned red. I did that to him all the way through. The time he came back, he wasn't near as cocky as he was when he got down there. <laughs> but I don't speak in tongues. He don't either. But tonight, I want to say this. I want to read a passage of scripture, and then I want to ask you a question. In verse fifteen of John chapter uh, twenty-one. The Word of God says, so then they dined, so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these. I remember in Bible college we had a whole ten minute discussion on who these are. And uh, I just believe it was those around us the other disciples. do You love me more than you do these, Jesus asked. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now, what would you be feeling about that time? You don't believe me, Jesus. And I have a hard time with people that ask me something three times. And I answer them, well, don't you believe me? And that's... Simon Peter and his personality, you know that's what's going on. And and the Lord just keeps asking. Now, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Love us, thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou know. I'm, I'm sure that his answer at that time wasn't, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. I'm sure that Peter's answer, who had a temper, we know that. And uh, he said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. In other words, why are you asking me three times? You know I love thee. And he said, Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Now the question he asked Simon Peter three times, what if the Lord walked in this building and walked up to you right now and said, lovest thou me? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? You say, "Yea, Lord. Well, what if the Lord said, what have you done to prove it? What are you doing to prove it? What would you answer? What had Simon done to prove it? But I want to ask you that question tonight. Do you love him? I sort of like I was in a church a week ago Sunday, or uh, really last Sunday, and a little kids' choir come up and sing, and they sing so beautifully. And there's a little girl. She looked like she was five, a little blonde-headed, pretty little thing. And they're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And, and the rest of them were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And she was going, Jesus loves me, this I know. I said, man, I like it. For the Bible tells me so. And every time she'd get to Jesus loves me, she'd <laughs> she knew, she knew Jesus loved her. And I believe she knew in her heart that she loved Jesus. Did you know that every Sunday school kid that you teach out here in the Sunday school classes loved Jesus? I mean, boy, they just love stories about Jesus. They love him. But when they get older and they get distracted, the love wanes. What has happened with you? Has that love gotten weaker? Or do you have the love for Jesus as a Sunday school girl? Do you love Him? Do you know what? 120 would be nothing if everybody really Loved Jesus. Now, I love souls. I still tear when people get saved. And I like it. I'm so happy when, when tears will just... My, my, uh, something inside me, you know how tears will just... All of a sudden, just, you feel that flush and the tears flow. I love it. And I'm so thankful when, when it happens. When I, when I feel that. And I feel that joy. But you know why? Hey, you know why? That a person loves souls. They have to love him first. And if you don't love him tonight, you know what your faith promise card is going to be filled out? Because you want to impress. Because you want to satisfy self. I want to do it so I can satisfy him. I want him to know. You know, you know on my wife's fiftieth anniversary I sent her fifty roses. Why? I oh, wanted to prove that I loved her. I I mean just I love you is not enough. I woke her up in the morning with a little stuffed animal and you pinched its 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 foot and it said wow thing <laughs> and, and, and and she just giggled. I came to lunch, and I brought her balloons, and she, 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 she punched, you know, he punched the balloon, and it, it sung some love song. Why? I like to do things like that. I might have told you before, but we went to eat at a special restaurant. We always go to a special restaurant. Went to a special restaurant. I went by Cracker Barrel that day, and, and got me a, a CD. I knew what I was going for. I bought it. I hid it in the car. We started in the restaurant. And I said, honey, wait a minute. I forgot something. I went back in the car and I put that CD in there and I, I fixed it so that it would just go boom when I started that car. We went in and ate. And we came back out and sat down in the car. And, I, and it said, I fell into a burning ring of fire. You know what? She loved it. I don't listen to country music. I don't listen to Johnny Cash. But you know what that was for? That was for a very special day in mine and my wife's life. And all day long, I wanted to prove to her that I loved her. I love her more than I did when we got married. I love her with a different love than I did when we got married. And I hope, and I can say this today, that I love Jesus right now better than the day I got saved. I've been saved for
2: 58
3: years, and I love Jesus better than I loved him. A growing love, my old mama, she died at 80, and she'd sit there in her chair and she'd say, Oh, it gets sweeter every day And I was probably in my fifties, and I thought I knew what Mama was talking about, but I didn't know what mama was talking about till I got up in my latter years, and boy, it gets sweeter. What if he asked you if you love him today? Well, what have you done to prove it? What are you doing to prove it? And that's sort of what the insinuation was to Simon Peter here. Now, I'm going to go through the scriptures right now, and I'm going to to show you some people that love Jesus. They loved him at different levels. In this room tonight, there are people here that love Jesus at different levels. And let me tell you something. Now, if you've got grandkids tonight or you've got children, there's some, There, there. you don't especially, you know, you, you don't want to admit it, but there's some of those children that treat you differently than the other children and there's just something special about one of them. I got a text just, just, uh the other day and it was, it was my, my, one of my daughters and she said dad I wanted to send you a picture of the flower that mama gave me she said I set it in the yard and it's just grown to a tall bush and it's I want you to see the blooms how beautiful they are and she said dad I love you I wish I could see you today. I told my wife when you get older or you're younger, you don't realize, the kids don't realize what just a little message like that means. You know, I believe Jesus likes to hear things like that from us. Do you ever say those things to him? Do you ever tell him you love him or, or are you always asking him for something? Have you got a list a mile long of needs and wants and things that, uh, that, that, that we really need and the ministry needs or our family needs? But do you ever just give him a little message? I love you. And I'd like to see you today. Boy, I would. If he came tonight, I would be so happy. I would be so thrilled. And I want him to know that I love him. You know, when I go to the book of Acts in chapter 4 and verse 4, it tells me there that there's 5,000 people got saved in one day. And these are all in the body of Christ. They're all relationships of Jesus Christ. They're all his children. A big crowd, and then he says in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, there was 3,000 more saved in one day. Boy, the crowd's getting larger. The Lord's family's getting larger. The body of Christ is getting larger. There's a lot of people in it, and there's a lot of people there that he has saved, and he loved them so much that he forgave all their sins. Wash their sins away, adopted them out of Satan's family and put them in God's family. Boy, can you beat that. Oh, they're in the family of God. Then we can narrow that down and we get into the upper room over in... The book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, and there were 120 in that upper room. That was even a smaller group. And, and you know, right there in Jerusalem in the same city, well, there was only 120 there. What happened to all of the other thousands? Why weren't they there? Why weren't they there? Well, this 120 evidently had a better relationship with Christ than all the other thousands. See, the body of Christ is worldwide, but there's some, hey, there's some that has a closer relationship with Christ than others do. Some have proven there's a closer relationship than others do. And they prove it on a daily basis. So here was 120. Boy, they were all gathered together and in that upper room and the persecution was going on and Christians were being persecuted. But these 120 were gathered up there and the Bible tells us about their prayers. And The group prayed and the place where they prayed was shaken with the power of God. Now the Holy Ghost had entered every one of these, the thousands, but the 120 were gathered for a purpose that they could pray together and they could even preach together and decide what is our next move, what should we do. Is The persecution is bad, what should we do? And I, 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 uh, uh, I had two different uh, phone calls today and conference calls, and one of them was, was with about 50 preachers, and we're to, trying to decide what to do in our area because the, the homosexual community has declared war on us. We met and prayed together. I met on the phone and prayed together and, and put my two cents worth into the crowd and, and, and we, we made some strategy. What were we going to do? We well, see these 120 were up there doing that thing. They were trying to figure out their next move. What are we going to do? How are we going to carry this gospel? How are we going to spread this gospel? But that 120 evidently, and you know one man said that the church those that come on Sunday morning love the church. Those that come on Sunday night love the preacher. And those that come on Wednesday night love Jesus. Hey, maybe something to that. We realize some people have to work and they got jobs and, you know, and different things, but. But I I, I always told people in my church, I pastored policemen, I pastored nurses, and I told the nurses, I said, I'm sure glad you're at the hospital on Sunday morning because if I come in there with a heart attack, I want you there. (laughs) And I told those policemen, I said, man, if somebody comes into the church and causes us a problem, I want your car pulling up there with them blue lights on. I'm glad you're there. There's just some, some, some things that are necessary. But you know what? Some people just don't come on Wednesday night. Just don't come on Sunday night. It just takes one sermon a week to do them. Boy, they're more Christian than I am. I have to hear at least 10 sermons a week. I keep my radio on our station all the time. Man, I hear 8 and 10 sermons a day. I got to have it to stay right with God. But you know what? Some have a closer relationship. There was that 120 in that upper room. But you know what? I find that there were 12 that had even a closer relationship. I find there were 12 that followed him everywhere he went. I find there were were some of those that left their nets and followed him. I find there was one that left tables full of money and followed him. A great living and followed him. Some were closer. Some proved their closeness. Some proved they love him. By following him. These 12 were constantly wherever he went. They went away. Uh, they, they walked with him for miles. They walked up and down the Jericho Road, the Jerusalem Road, the Jericho Road. The, the, the They walked that Jordan River Valley from, from, from Galilee down to, to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. And boy, they, they were so close to him that they went away and prayed with him. They went away and he, they went to the side and he taught them. Boy, wouldn't that have been wonderful? How how would you like to have been one of the twelve, brother Pete, and got that close to Jesus, just so that you were in his face, that you were wherever he was, and you were tagging along? And you know, I find it so ironic, and there's so much in the Bible where where the, where where I, I just just amazes me. And, and there, in the Book of Mark, Jesus was on his last trip up to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm, he said, he took them aside and he taught the 12. And he said, I'm going up there and, and I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be smitten. I'm going to be mocked. And I'm going to be killed. You know what James and John immediately said? Very close to Jesus. Lord, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand when thou comest into thy kingdom? Even the close are selfish. They weren't hearing what he said. They weren't hearing that he was going to die. All they were thinking about was me. And these were 12 that were closer to him. So that should tell you sometimes we have our moments, don't we? Sometimes we have our moments when we're so we're so selfish. I mean, this proves it. We've come to that. We've come to selfies. We've we, we, Everything's about self. This generation, it's all self, self, self. And whatever I can do to satisfy self, whatever I can do to get me this and get me that, and when they get married, whatever we can do to have this and have that and bigger and better and greater and more and more, it's... All about selfie. Hey, James and John, no different. James and John, real close to Jesus. But can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? And then I look over in another book, and it was their mama that encouraged them to do it. Mama told them to ask him, Hey, I'm telling you what, Hey, even though we're close, we still have our moments, don't we? We're still in the flesh, aren't we? And sometimes the flesh rises up, doesn't it? And I hate the flesh. The person that gives me more trouble than anybody on earth is a man I shave every morning. I look at him some mornings, pastor, and I say, I don't like you. I don't. I don't like what he thinks. I don't like what he does. I don't like what he don't do, but you know something, I don't care how close you are, you still have your moments, but thank God, David, hey, David was a man after God's own heart and boy did David have his moments, he had his hours, but I believe that David still was a man after God's own heart, I believe that. And hey, I know we're not perfect. Glory to God, we won't be till we get in a body just like Christ. And we'll, hey, we'll sin till we get in a body just like Christ. But I thank God I am forgiven. I'm glad that all my sins of the past, the present, and the future are under the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin, and my sins are gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Still have my moments. Still have my moments. But you know, if you ever noticed since you got saved, you can do something that's not right? I can even tell somebody something and realize after I said it, that's not all truth. truth. I can walk away, and boy, something just starts eating at me. <laughs> I mean, you, you didn't tell the whole truth, and I've got to go back and get it right. It don't take me long for that to start eating at me. You know why? There's a Holy Ghost that lives inside of here. And you know what? When 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 I do something, he immediately says, or just within a few minutes, he says, Boy. I've I've been in restaurants sitting there, Sister Morgan. Waitress, just don't listen. Don't he, we had a wonderful waitress over at that there place today. What is that place? Hartville Kitchen. Boy, it was good. Thank you for taking me over there, Sister O'Donnell and Brother O'Donnell. And we had the prettiest waitress. Sweet, big smile. Man just smiled and heard everything I ordered and got it perfect. Sometimes I'll go in a restaurant and get one, and they don't hear a thing you said. And everything's messed up. And I've... Sometimes I'll show myself. And I've had to go to them, and I, I, every time I do, I've got to give them a double tip. I'm serious. If a tip's ache, they get 16. I've even, hey, I've even given 25 because I showed myself (laughs) and apologized and said, I'm sorry. But you see, that's human nature. But you know what? I'm glad that Holy Ghost checks me. I'm glad he checks me. Our church used to go to Shoney's every Sunday night and fill up the back room And the waitresses, one of them told us, said, we couldn't make our trailer payment if it wasn't for you, preacher. (laughs) That made me feel, did you know we had waitresses come to church and get saved because we were so nice to them and left them good tips? And and I told my people, if you're going with me, don't you get upset and give them a hard time. And if you can't lay a nice tip on the table, at least 20% when you're with me, don't go with me. We had a good reputation at Sean but I still have my moments. On the highway, I have my moments. (laughs) My pet peeve is those people in front of me that started on time and I'm late. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen? Yes. But you see, the thing is, hey, hey, we know we have our moments, but listen, hey, you can still love Jesus. You still can love Jesus and can still prove that you love him. So there was 12 that were closer than the 5,000, 3,000, closer than 120. They had a better relationship with Christ than all the rest. Now I'm talking about tonight, if you don't love Jesus, you're never going to get a burden for souls. You're never going to get a burden for missions. You're never going to get a burden for filling out that faith promise card and putting an amount on there that will help this world find Jesus. Loving Jesus will change your life. It will change your life. And then there's the 12, but you know, yet I look in my Bible and I find out there were three that were closer than the 12. See, so how do you know? Well, I can read over there in the book of Matthew, and and, and and Peter's wife's mother died. Do you remember? Well, they told Jesus. There's two places. Jesus, I found in the Bible, he liked to hang around. And one of them was Capernaum, where Peter lived. And then there were the other one was, was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house down in Bethany. I find that he liked those places. He loved to hang around those places. He seemed like he had a, a, a great relationship with those places and those people. But you know, when, his, when Simon Peter's wife's mother died, his mother-in-law, and Jesus went in, they, they told him she was dead. He goes in. Who did he take with him? He took Peter. He took James. And he took John. They got to see things nobody else saw. They got to see things that were very intimate. Somebody, one preacher said, that's why Peter cussed the Lord, cause he raised his wife's mother from the dead. But, 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 uh, but maybe it's some truth to that. But mother-in-law sure do get a hard time. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. She's in heaven, but. <laughs> she was a wonderful mother-in-law. She was. Me and my wife in our young years would have trouble and she always took up for me. So, (laughs) I loved my mother-in-law. She did. She really did. And uh, just a wonderful mother-in-law. But, but, but you know, you know, Peter, James, and John got to go in in that intimate relationship where Jesus rose, raised that woman from the dead. I think that Jesus took them places and I see in the Bible He took them places. He didn't take anybody else. You know, they were up there at Caesarea Philippi. How many of you have ever been to Israel? Huh? Boy, it would be nice to go. Your Bible comes alive. But they were up there at Caesarea Philippi up in the north eastern corner up at the Golan Heights and just across the mountain there is Syria. They were up there at that Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus was preaching to the twelve, and and uh, uh, that's the place that, they, that that Mount Hermon is a huge, big granite rock, it's just huge, and the snow kept Mount Hermon, and the waters drained from there, and it's one of the three sources of the Jordan River. And he was standing there teaching them, and then he immediately, well, he said, You know, Jesus always used earthly illustrations to bring heavenly message. Here was this big rock, a big, huge granite rock, and that's the place he said, upon this rock I will build my church. Their mind was on a rock. He said, this rock, me, I will build my church. And shortly after that, he said right there, some of you standing here will not die till you see me coming in my glory. Well, they thought, Well, Lord, that's a long time. But you know who he took them on the mountain with him? Walked right up on that big mountain, and there Jesus Christ took Peter, James, and John. Now, they got to see something more intimate than anybody else in that Bible on this earth ever got to see. Well, that's close. And they went up there, and all of a sudden... Jesus was transfigured into his glorified body. There stood Moses and Elijah in their glorified body, and they looked and they got to see Jesus in his glory. Not hey, the other nine didn't. I believe somebody's a little bit closer relationship, don't you? Huh? Yeah. I would have loved to have been in that three. I'd hate to be in that nine laying back down there sleeping. I really would. Have you one of the nine? Hey, they had a relationship, and they got to see him in his glory. They got to see him in what we'll see him in in the future, in his glory. Boy, three is even closer, and they got to do things nobody else did. But you know something? There was yet two that were closer. You know, we go over to the Last Supper and Jesus sitting there and they're, they're eating and Jesus takes the bread and he says, He that puts his hand in the sop with me will betray me. They're sitting there eating. Well, this Leonardo da Vinci painting of the Last Supper is the craziest thing I've ever seen. How many times has 13 people ever sit on the same side of the table? Does that make any sense? Uh, Just on television, you know. (laughs) And and, hey, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not going into that, but there's a different situation than that. But you know what? Peter leans over to John and said, all the rest of the disciples are saying, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? All the ten, is it I? Peter leans over to John and says, John asked him, who is it? Peter knew it wasn't he? John said, Who is it, Lord? John knew he loved him so much it was not him. But the other ten did not know that. You know where John was at that last supper? He was laying on his breast. Whew, it's that close. John heard God's heartbeat. Man, I can't already stand to think about that. John lay here on his breast. And you know, the Bible gives us an example of John as a picture of the church. You know, over in Revelation chapter 4, he told John he was on earth and he said, Come up hither and John went up to heaven from earth. And he was a picture of the church, the bride of Christ right there. And one of these days we're gonna hear come up hither, thank God. And and you know what? John was a picture of that. Hey, where did the where did the bride come from? Right there. They walked up to the cross. Jesus was hanging there. They went out to take their spear shafts and break their legs because. They died of his asphyxiation, and the Jewish law was they had to be in the grave before sundown. They went out to break the legs of Jesus and break the legs of the other two. The other two, the one on the right and the one on the left, wasn't dead. You see, in this Bible, there's not one person that ever died in the presence of Jesus Christ. Not one. bunch of them Resurrected. But not one died, and guess what? I shall never die as long as I'm in His presence. Amen. So I have eternal life because I'm in His presence. He lives in me; therefore, I have eternal life. But you know what? They came out there, and Jesus was already dead. And instead of breaking legs, they just took the spear and they thrust it in His side, and out forth were in blood and water. And that was a picture. That was where the church came from—birth by the blood of Christ. Where was John? Laying right there. Boy, that's close. That's so close. You know what? Are you that close? Are you that close? And let me tell you how close John was. You know, from that supper, they went down to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went away and prayed while the others slept. You remember. But here comes Judas with his crowd of betrayers. Judas was the betrayer. He brings his crowd with him. He runs up and he kisses Jesus. And he told him, the one that I kiss, that's him. And you know what Jesus said to Judas? He said, friend, you know what he was saying? That Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He's saying, Judas, I died for you too. I'm dying for you too. Friend. Called his betrayer friend just to send a message that he died for him too. They took Jesus. They took him to Caiaphas' house. The high priest, that's who was behind all of this. They took him to his house. I've walked up the steps that they've dated back 2,000 years from down at the foot of that hill up to Caiaphas' house and they've got pretty good proof. And down in the basement, downstairs is a hole and down there is a place where they tied him and they flagellated him in that house and they smit him and they beaten him, mocked him and they put a robe on him down there as king. Very special place. That was the beginning of... Of the crucifixion. And you know, Caiaphas sent him to Pilate's Hall. But at Caiaphas' house, you know, when he was in the garden and they arrested him, they all left him. But when he got to Caiaphas' house, Simon Peter was at least sitting on the porch, he was there. But it didn't say anything about any of the others except John. And it tells that John went inside. John stayed right with him. See, there was two, Peter and John. But yet there was one that had a better relationship than all of the other members of the body of Christ. There was one named John that had a relationship like no other because this Bible says that John loved him best. This Bible says the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. So there was one closer than all of the rest. I'm just about finished. But there was one that was closer than all of the rest. Because he followed Jesus on in. Simon Peter sitting by the world's fire cursing and saying, No, I don't know him. I'm sure when Jesus' eyes met Simon, the Bible tells us that when that happened, he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus predicted he'd do that. Simon Peter did exactly that. So John, let me, let me, let me tell you how close John was to him. You know when Mary went to the tomb after the crucifixion, she came back and you know she saw the two angels and she they said he's not here but he's risen. And she ran back to the disciples who were back all together and she said he's alive he's alive he's risen he's not there. Well, Simon Peter takes off running immediately. That's the way he was. He jumps And he starts running toward the tomb just as fast as he can go. But that Bible says John outran him. John passes him like a blue streak. John comes to the door of the tomb and stops. Simon Peter comes and passes John like a bullet and runs inside. You see, you can look at that and say, John is a picture of love. Many times you'll go to that intensive care unit and love will take you to that door. But Simon Peter's a picture of grace. It takes grace for you to go on in. Simon Peter goes in and looks around. He sees he's not there. John then comes in slowly. John looks around and they see the grave clothes. But over here on the side, the face napkin is folded neatly. Simon Peter didn't see it. John saw the face napkin. He picks it up, and it was folded neatly, and John knew that he had risen. See, John, Jesus left a special love note for the one he loved best. Boy, he does leave love notes. Oh man, he leaves love notes all over this book to those that love him. But he left John that love note. John recognized it. Peter didn't. Then we go to the cross. We go back to the cross, and I finish with this: Jesus hung on the cross and he cried, "I thirst." My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Seven sayings on the cross. But one of those sayings was to John. John, behold thy mother. To his mother, behold thy son. He bequeathed the most dearest thing that he was leaving on earth to John whom he loved. There's yet one that had a much closer relationship than all the rest. You have a choice. You're amongst the millions. You're amongst the thousands. But are you even amongst the 120? Are you amongst the 12? Are you amongst the three? Are the two? I would love to be the one. Let's bow for prayer.